please be aware this episode contains content that some listeners may find disturbing relating to domestic violence. How's it going? I'm Jake Humphrey. This is High Performance, our conversation for you every single week. This podcast reminds you that it's within your ambition, your purpose, your story. It's all there. We just help you unlock it by turning the lived experiences of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons. Myself and Professor Damien Hughes speak to the greatest leaders, thinkers, entrepreneurs, and in this case, sports stars on the planet so they can be your teacher. Remember, this is not about high achievement or high success. It's high happiness, high self-worth, taking you closer to your version of high performance. Today, this awaits you. I think the fear of going to bed every night and trying to listen for sounds to hear if my mum would be okay I needed to break some patterns in my life that stemmed yes from my dad and not being able to communicate and then that was there in relationships I was then tending to get with people that I just wanted to help them you know which then in turn wasn't healthy healthy for myself I didn't know that I was a leader or a captain until I went to America I literally went from, yeah, I was already a right back for England, but going to America where people were telling me that I'm going to be the best right back in the world, to believe in it, like these people could see something in me. When I got to a stage where Lucy Bronze came in at such a young right back and I knew straight away, one, she had a mentality like me. She was unapologetic of putting in the hard work because she wanted to be the best and I absolutely loved her. And I knew I had to do what Heather Mitts did for me. I knew I was going to push Lucy, have conversations with her and get her to that place. So when ultimately she took my shirt, it was for all the right reasons because she was the best. You have to live with walking outside your door, taking a nice stroll, which I think is just me switching off and doing something normal, that somebody might be following you because of the stuff that they've said and the abuse that they've thrown at you to the level of people saying that they're going to throw acid in your face and, you know, and living goes back to that fear when actually I transitioned from one career to do another career because I just love it. Like I'm passionate about it. It gives me so much energy. So I don't understand how people can have so much hatred towards someone or something just because they're doing a job that they love. Well, I'm really excited to bring you this episode of the High Performance Podcast. Um, I'm sure you know that Alex Scott, the former footballer turned broadcaster, has a new book out. But actually, I've seen and heard a lot of the interviews that she's done over the past couple of weeks. And she didn't speak about the things that she discussed with us in the next hour. You will hear in incredible honesty her journey from where she started to where she's got to. And the thing that stands out for me from this conversation, you will hear the challenges of Alex's upbringing. You will hear the challenges that she faced in her playing career. You'll hear about the challenges that she faces in her new media career. The thing that bothered me is the question of why can't we celebrate people? Why do we want to push people back to where they came from? Why can't we celebrate the journey they've been on? And we talk about that with Alex. You know, she managed to make it in broadcasting, which is bloody difficult after a career in the elite level of football, which is equally hard after an upbringing that was remarkably hard. So why can't people just go, wow, look how far you've come. You are so inspirational. You're proof that where you start is not where you finish, that with the right approach, you can achieve amazing things in life. And instead, 
she's faced every day with messages of, you don't belong there. That's not where you should be. Get off my TV. We need to change our thinking. We need to realise that you don't lose any of your flame by lighting someone else's candle. We need to realise that we can be the difference. If you have ever sent a message to anyone on social media or anywhere else being unfairly critical, you can be the difference. You can be the change. I see it all the time. I get it all the time as well. It confuses me. It makes no sense. It's unfair. It's unkind. But I guess we have to ask ourselves why some people can only be happy by taking away the happiness of others. And that's a big part of our conversation today with Alex Scott. Let me just say a big thank you, of course, to Lotus Cars for being the founding partners of the High Performance Podcast. They stand alongside us on High Performance, as they have done from the very start. If you want to hear the latest about what they're up to, then all you need to do is go to lotuscars.com. And um, the big news from them is that the Lotus Electra, which is their first all-new electric car, is a winner in the What Car Electric Car Awards. Uh, what Car, who are really highly respected, said that they're used to Lotus producing cars that excite enthusiasts. But by winning the What Car Readers Award, the Lotus Electra, not even out yet, has shown it has the potential to attract a whole new group of customers to the brand. And we're so excited for you. That's the Lotus Electra coming on the back of the amazing award-winning Lotus Avaya and, of course, the Lotus Amira, which is also on the road as well. Check them out at Lotus Cars across social media. Lotus, thanks for being here from the very beginning. Let's get to it then. A searingly honest conversation with footballer turned broadcaster, Alex Scott. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thank you. 
Well, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. I'm excited oh, about good, this. Good, good. Do you listen you know, to them? Yes. That's why I'm sitting here smiling because I'm that person. I go on a walk and I go through, I've listened to so many, Chris Hoy, when you had Roxy yeah, on, yeah, yeah. just listening to the different conversations and actually what I can take from it as well and learn from them. So I really like your podcast and not just saying it. Well, thank you for listening. And now it's time for people to learn from you. So ah. you'll know how it starts. Mm-hmm. What is your version of high performance, Alex? My version of high performance, I'm really big on mindsets, to be honest. So I think the difference between being a good athlete or in that bracket, the high performance part is about that mindset that takes you to that next level to be really elite and keep you there performing, which I think is coming out more and more in the sport world and not even just in sport world, I think in business, like how can you tap into things to help you know, keep you there. So where did that mindset come from then? Are we talking about, you know, an 11-year-old Alex Scott who was like mentally solid and stable (laughs) and pushing herself to the limit? Or as we often find with people, is this a process of growth? I would say it's a process of growth and for me, understanding myself more. But I think when I go back to where I grew up in East London, playing in a football cage, there was kind of a survival instinct in there you know having to fight for my place in the football cage with the boys having to prove people that I was good enough and having a dream that I wanted to get beyond that football cage so I think there was a lot of elements in that and I think you throw in on top of that fear fear of being stuck or fear of not being able to look after myself I always say that you know, I managed to get 140 caps for England. And sometimes you'd have teammates or people assuming that you were the favourite. That's why you got picked. But I actually, every game I played for England had a strong element of fear that it would be my last, that it was taken away, that I had to go out and be the best because, you know, I might not get picked for the next game. I think that's a really powerful thing to share with people because people see you and assume there's no fear because life's successful. What about the Alex Scott sitting in front of us today? How prevalent is fear in the life you live now it's always there and to be honest I think that's what keeps me going working so hard because it's always that I've got to prove people that I'm good enough or flip that as well as I don't want to let anyone down that's then showed that faith in me to put me in a position or given me a job or picked me in the first team for Arsenal so it's both it's that fear and I've got you know in my performance thank someone for for believing in me and seeing some something in me We've had a number of guests on that have spoken about the power of fear, Alex. And the most notable one that comes to mind is uh, when we spoke to Dr. Pippa Grange that speaks about there's two types of fear. There's the the in-the-moment fear where you just drop everything and run. But the more pernicious fear is that not good enough fear that often a lot of high performers describe that it can propel them for a while, but equally it can be crippling if it takes hold. How have you managed to harness fear so that it propels you forward without it actually stymieing you? Because I think it goes back to that mindset of having that fear. Like you said, you can have it. I can't do it where I'm someone that, okay, here's a challenge and I choose to accept it, you know, because I know that I'm going to take a lesson from it and I'm going to grow. And actually what's the worst that can happen It doesn't turn out the way that I planned, but I'm still going to have learnt lessons during that process. So I think that fear is always there. But like you said, I know that I can use it to be better, whether the outcomes, if I like it or not, you know. So if we can go to that moment that you said of what's the worst that can happen. I'm conscious that 
there's an awful lot of publicity about your brilliant book at the moment, mm-hmm. and it t- tends to focus on the relationship with your father. So yeah. I, I don't want it just to be dominated by that, mm-hmm. but I do think it's worth us just touching on it. That, for a lot of kids, is the worst that can happen, yeah. seeing, or like you described in your book, sometimes going to bed and not knowing if your mum was still going to be alive in the morning because yeah. of the stuff that was going on behind closed doors. How have you processed that as a lesson that you've learned something from that you can now use it to your advantage? I think sitting here and going through a lot of lessons learning about myself, that, yeah. So even you saying that, like the noises and what I went through as a kid, it's all still there and it's still very raw. But I think I don't sit here as a victim of that. There's a lot of stuff that I've taken strength from. I take the the bad stuff that's happened in my life and then you mix it with all the good stuff. It's made me who I am today. I think the fear of going to bed every night and trying to listen for sounds to hear if my mum would be okay, but then seeing the light and seeing her the next day. And it's actually, I didn't write the book and that chapter to try and shame my dad at all. I actually wrote the book in the light, so that's what he flip it, to free my mum. I wanted her to see how incredible she is and her strength, a different kind of strength that was passed on to me and my brother has got me to this place. And for my mum up to this point to continually view herself and call her a, herself a coward because that's how she thinks the world will view her, me writing this book is trying to show her that you're absolutely everything but. You know, you did everything to get me and my brother to the position that we're in now. So I think going back to your question, the light and seeing those moments was I could see that she was going to get the strength to leave him. And then she did. And even though it was still a struggle, you know, we we were fine. We had then that freedom. I had the football cage at the end of my road that that was my escape. And my mum's friends used to laugh at her when like, what does Alex want to be? And she used to be like, oh yeah, she's going to be a footballer. And then they used to laugh and be like, she'll grow out of it. But my mum knew that football was my escape from what they didn't know what was going on at home, you know. So she always encouraged me and didn't try and push me on another path. So do you ever use those moments then as a source of strength? You know, last year when you were... You had that media storm around you about your accent and how you pronounce Uh words on telly and things like that. Do you ever, in your head, go back to those horrible moments in your childhood bedroom where you're facing that fear and think, that's the worst that can happen and I survived it. So somebody criticising my accent is manageable do you ever use that to put it in some kind of perspective kind of like, yeah I've been through worse in my life like I can get through stuff I think the accent thing that it just got to me it wasn't just that one tweet it'd been a build-up since our transition into broadcasting and it's like that constant build-up of having to hide it trying to show strength that you know I'm now a woman I can't be seen to be complaining or I can't handle it and so I think over the years it was a number of things that when I did that I knew going into the Olympics the amount of scrutiny that I'd be under sitting alongside a national treasure Claire Baldwin everyone loves her a Gabby Hazel Irvine and then there's me this little ruffian from the east end of London you know how, why am I supposed to fit in there like how dare I go into that space so I knew I put a lot of pressure under myself and I think 
it's easy, you know, when people say, oh, don't get on social media, don't look at it. But there's so much of it that I like. I like the connection and speaking to people. And actually, when you're full, you guys will both know, you sitting on TV or you're full in broadcast mode. Sometimes me just switching on my phone is a distraction or checking in and what else is going on in the world other than the TV land. And then switching on, yeah, Twitter that night and seeing that, it was just, I, I'm not going to sit in silence anymore. Like I actually can't take this anymore when I'm on the one show. It's the same thing. Yeah. So that was just the reaction to that. I'm from an area of London where, you know, it was it was a struggle, but I'm proud that the, that the struggle and the hard work has led me to this place. And actually, why do people look at the negative? Why can't people see that? You know, for you to achieve and get out of something and all the hard work that you've put in, why don't you celebrate that? You just still constantly want to bring someone down because of an area that they're from. But then actually, you know, it's, it's the UK. It's a representation of society. But we've been stuck in a way that this is what TV is supposed to look like. This is what you're supposed to sound like. And it just proves that things need to change. I think you're so strong and speak about it so powerfully. And, you know, I've not had anything like that level of criticism that I've said to my wife many times over the past 20 years on the telly like the biggest source of mental health struggles for me is social media and the challenges it brings and it's nice in a weird way isn't it to talk about it Mm -hmm. because it does strengthen you a bit and I would just love people to really understand like the actual cost of what they think is just a throwaway tweet or a, a ridiculous comment like if you're able to would you mind just sharing so that people can really hear it in your own words, actually what this does to somebody. <laughs> Do you know what, Jake? I remember one time you actually really, <clears throat> there was in the height of it, I remember you actually on a BT show talking about it when the headlines first broke, like, and I've been since then for another of different episodes as well. And me seeing a reaction like that, I think that gives me the strength to keep going that people do have your back. But then at the extent of it, you've got me fearing for my life. And people don't understand that, that you have to live with walking outside your door and walking, you know, having my headphones in, taking a nice stroll, which I think is just me switching off and doing something normal, that somebody might be following you because of the stuff that they've said and the abuse that they've thrown at you to the level of people saying that they're going to throw acid in your face and, you know, living goes back to that fear when actually I transitioned from one career to do another career because I just love it. Like, I'm passionate about it. It gives me so much energy. So I don't understand how people can have so much hatred towards someone or something just because they're doing a job that they love. Yeah. I'll tell you what helped me was when someone said, listen, all of these comments are or is their anger uh-huh. just being shared and you just so happen to be the person that they're, they're sharing their, their anger uh-huh. at or they're shouting at or they're angry with the world. And I think... Um, like we talk often on this podcast, right, about opinion and empathy and the difference between the two. And we live in a world where people are just desperate to have an opinion. Yeah. See, there's a part that I I really agree with you, but then I just think, 
I would I wouldn't do that even if yeah. like you know I've just spoke about the stuff that I've gone through in my life I've been in some very dark places I I wouldn't want to put that on anyone else I wouldn't want to try and bring someone down to a place where I know is dark if anything even in the book me sharing the stuff you know people going through similar things I hope that I can help you you know, when you are hurting, it's easy to be, oh, what about me? And I'm trying to hurt other people. When you're actually hurting, that's a time to try and help someone else and give them a bit of life, light in their life, yeah. I, I think. See, let's jump on uh, on that comment there then, Alex, because I think the purpose of the podcast is often to help people in their own lives of take the lessons that you've learned and do that. And I think there's something profoundly powerful about what you're saying that you've survived some pretty horrific situations whether that's as a child right the way through to you now your professional career and yet you still come out of it you're still smiling you're still thriving and being successful give us some of the techniques that you've learned then to cope when you're in those dark places give us some of the two or three tips that you've learned that are most powerful I think through therapy, one, it's knowing when I'm going into those dark places. Okay. I remove myself. I totally switch off and don't want to speak to family and friends. Right. Like I'm in my own headspace. In that headspace, turn into drink as well to try and numb all the noise. So what I've learned is where am I getting into those dark holes? Okay. So now that I've, I know those signs and, and I think and then what, I reach out right. to people. And what are they? What are some of those signs that you've spotted? when you're going down into, on the, into that black hole? Remove myself. I, on my phone, I don't want to speak to anyone, won't reply to messages or anything. I will literally get home from work, don't want to go out and see friends. I become a, a recluse. Right. Because I can't give anything. But the thing is, is I love work. So I will literally wake up the next morning and go to work and you two, you wouldn't think anything's wrong with me. Okay. Because I can be on and that gives me energy. But straight away when the camera's off, I'm going home, then I'm in a dark place. So who knows that you've gone there then to be able to come and help dig you out of it? Now, through the book and through therapy, people now know those signs where they didn't before. Because I think that's where we go back when we're talking about athletes. You're, you're trained to hide everything. You're, try, you're trained to show strength, don't show emotion. So all these years, and it goes back to the chapter with my dad's stuff, I was grown in an environment where you only speak when you're spoken to. Yep. So one, I didn't even know how to communicate or show emotion. You know, it's that survivor instinct. I'm going to be okay no matter what. I don't need help from anyone. So now me speaking out more, my friends and family also know those patterns so what was the first time that you chose to break that cycle then of being reclusive and actually reach out and ask for help uh going to therapy i remember i just finished um it was on sky sports and i was so happy that asked me to do a new year's um game which was a big thing we all know over the christmas period football that's when you like you're, you're at home and you're loving it so for me to even do one of those shows i was like wow this is amazing i remember leaving that game and coming home and then everyone wants to go out and they're celebrating i remember being in my house i'd had a lot of trolling and the abuse and i was really i was high it was at a stage where i was really hiding everything trying to be strong um and going home that day drinking a lot of wine watching tv and just bursting out crying 
and I was sitting there, I didn't know why I was crying so much. Why would I be crying? You know, I've just got a job, you know, I've got this second career, everything in my life, I- I'm fine. I can, I can pay my bills because that always used to be a worry growing up in the area. You know, I've just got to make some money, I'll, you know, so I can pay my bills. Um, so everything should be fine from the outside world. And then here I am sitting crying my eyes out and I couldn't understand why. And I remember going downstairs and walking past the mirror, looking in the mirror and just crying, you like you know that sort of crying where you're like sobbing and the snot's yeah. coming out Ugly everywhere. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think it was that night I was like, I can't continue this in my life. I I, I need help. Um, and then so the next morning I remember getting on Google and typing in therapy, um, and that was the start for me. And how did that feel though to break that cycle? Because you've been really successful mm-hmm. using the methods that you to survive that you have at first I think the night before it was that shame like I'd finally cracked I wasn't strong enough anymore because I'm then having to ask for help you know so it was fighting that mindset as well that I've lost you know I need to now reach out but then the next day it was scary I remember typing in and so many things were coming up on the search engine and then fighting that. I was like, well, those symptoms, not me. That symptoms me. What's this? See, I don't know what that means. And going for all of this long list and then just finding someone and the process. I remember when it was someone local in the area going in there because I suppose we all grew up with therapy. I know I did when people in the past would be like, maybe you should go to therapy and speak to someone. And my first reaction would be, I don't need someone to tell me about myself. Like they don't know. <laughs> me but then going into that room it was not the best experience to be honest I had someone just sitting across from me very just saying yes no and it made me feel uncomfortable and then so I went back to the same pattern for a week of going home drinking and crying um and I remember sporting chance I knew someone that had been to sporting chance um which was do you know about sporting chance um and I remember reaching out to them and I've been going to see someone at sporting chance since then and you still see them today yeah yeah I actually my last session with him because I knew the weight of the book I'd worked through a lot of stuff it's really interesting because the narrative around me is the trolls pushed me into therapy when actually no that was just the the end part I'd been through so much in my life from my dad through retiring from football to everything um that I'd been on a journey through therapy that I needed to, he was a light, he was an angel sent to me, but going to see him my last session, I knew the weight of the book and the things that would become in the conversations that I would be having. So I'm, yeah, I I need him all the time in my life and I don't shy away or I'm not embarrassed to say that. And would you mind sharing with us some of the lessons that you've learned in therapy that again, listeners that maybe find themselves in a similar in a similar position Mm -hmm. could maybe consider adopting themselves i love someone that you know anything it's a conversation it's why i love the job that i do because i get to sit and have conversations and people can see the world and give you an opinion totally different to your own and make you think of something that you never saw it in that way before and i think sitting in therapy it's not a friend it's not a family member that will have their opinion on your friend or your job that you're doing it's someone totally removed from that and can see things make you see things in a totally rounded way that you're just like yeah 
I, I understand that and I needed to hear that. And sometimes it's brutal and that's what I need, the real, the raw honesty in it. And sometimes I, I remember driving and being like, I don't need to see him today. I've got nothing to say. And actually those sessions end up being the best ones. I come away feeling lighter of everything that I'd been carrying and sometimes I didn't even know I was carrying. Um, what do you do now when you, apart from going to see your therapist, mm-hmm. what are the, the techniques and the tips, the mental techniques and tips that you've been given that yeah. you can rely on when you need them? And there will be people listening to this, right, that are still in the place that you were yeah. when you were a footballer, which is be strong, bottle it up. Well, the, the misnomer of being strong. I mean, it's not really a strength, is it? Mm-hmm. That, but that sense that sharing is weakness and dealing with it yourself is a strength. So now what, what do you do when you've sent something or you've even how you think before you go on air because people don't realize how exposing it is being a tv presenter you're not hiding behind a football shirt anymore well i think the whole thing about strength that's why i named the the book what it is how not to be strong because it's what i've learned about myself removing all of that showing the vulnerabilities and actually allowed to to be yourself i now know i need to take time for myself and i don't have to apologize for that and sometimes that is literally, I'm, not, I'm looking right about the green patch just over your shoulder from where we are in the tower. It's me going on a walk for an hour and not being on my phone, even though I've got a podcast on in my, in my ears and I can hear the, the messages coming through and having the strength to be like, no, I'm not replying to your messages until I get home. And it just gives me that time for myself to think about the world what I need to do, and it puts me in a better headspace. Um, what can we all do to be more supportive of people who are taking criticism or having a hard time? Like, it's interesting that you picked up on the, you know, the, what I said on there about Karen Carney. It, like, I work with Karen, obviously, as, as, and it just got, it, it was just, a, for me, as the parent of a daughter, I couldn't stand and watch it. And I, And I think allyship is a really important conversation that we should maybe have. You know, the whole thing with Kaz as well. So me and Kaz were roommates for England, basically grew up together. And I'd already gone through a height of what I'd gone through. And I remember I was at home watching the game and her saying that and then literally seeing an instant reaction Mm. on Twitter. And straight away, I panicked. I had the fear because I knew what was going to come her way. And getting on the phone to her, messaging her, checking in. I remember messaging Gabby Logan, Matt, who you know, producer at BT, being like, you need to get Lisa to take this out. I was trying to do everything I can to protect Kaz because I knew what was going to come her way. And the fear in that that I had for her. And obviously it's awful. Like, we don't want anyone to go through that. I've been through it. Like, no. But I think what we need to start doing, I remember saying on air one time is, because you get on social media and it's all the negative, but what we're not good at doing is praising people. We need to start flooding the, if you think someone's been great, if you even like what they're wearing or just little bits, don't be scared to say it. I know it's kind of sometimes our culture, we find it hard to praise people. We're like, we can't say that, can we? We're in America, it's totally opposite. You know, you're just walking down, I like your shirt today. Yeah, Yo, you're like, oh, really, this shirt? Our, our reaction would be like, oh no, this is an old one. You know, straight away we go to the negative. Um, so I think it's just reminding people that it's okay to praise someone. And so maybe people will start seeing that and it will start balancing out a little bit. And how happy are you today? You know, you've written the book, which is, yeah. without that, I'm sure a cathartic process. I would say I'm, I'm okay. 
I would say I'm in a good place. There's a lot of stuff that I know that I'm going to have to go through these next couple of weeks regarding the book. Um, you talk about going back to my dad. You know, in my head, you had the fairy tale ending, which is out of this and how I wrote the chapter. He will knows I don't want anyone to judge him. I always think that a person has changed and he's this amazing person now, a good person. Um, but I know I'm already going through stuff with that. But actually, the book... As I said before, I want my mum to come out shining. I want her to have that weight lifted off her. So that is what makes me happy today. Has she read it, Alex? Yeah, she has. While you were writing it or after it was... No, till the end. So she didn't know anything. Like I said, I'm I'm literally mum, I'm telling my story. But I don't think she even... She didn't even... We've grown up not being able to communicate. So reading the book was hard for her to hear me talking about what I knew as a kid. Because I suppose when you grow up in an environment like that, you don't know what your kids have seen or what they've heard because you're trying to be the strong one. Well, that struck me when I was reading it, that I think I think for parents sometimes that are in conflict, mm-hmm. there's a misunderstanding that if the kids are, are, are not in the room, yeah. they don't see or hear it. When actually the reality is your imagination can be so much worse than what the reality might be. Yeah. You also spoke about the fact that you didn't speak till you were five, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. or you spoke about um, relationships and you've got this sense of being independent. Yeah. So I think what really intrigued me was a phrase that we sometimes use on the podcast of what are the ghosts of your childhoods that still rattle around your adult body? You know, things that you haven't resolved yet or questions or situations that you're trying to fix. What are those that are still there? It goes back to be, it's little Alex. Little Alex still trapped in that environment where you don't speak until you're spoken to or the reaction of that, which now leads into that imposter syndrome. To be honest, like you shouldn't be in the room. Like I'm not worthy enough. I don't deserve to have either that praise or an award or people say that, you know, you're good at your job. Like I don't deserve it because... It goes back to being that little Alex trapped in that environment. And that's my journey through therapy that I'm still working on. So when you were going into like the Arsenal dressing room and yeah. then the England dressing room, was that imposter syndrome? Yeah. Was little Alex still there? Yeah. Asking how are we here? Which goes, I didn't know that I was a leader or a captain until I went to America. Because I grew up in an Arsenal environment, the same thing. One, I was trying to prove a coach that why can't he see that I love Arsenal? I've, I've been here since I was eight, but he didn't believe in me. It's, it's weird because everyone sees my Arsenal journey and, you know, my connection and Alex's Arsenal through and through, which I am. But actually, it was, it was hard. I had to constantly prove my coach that I love the club and why doesn't he see that I would do anything for this, you know? Actually, it pushed me to an extent that the mindset of, I had to run faster than anyone. I had to prove my fitness just so he could see something in me. Um, but I was around leaders. It's funny that le- I think leadership has changed so much. That, But I was in a, in a changing room that it was a loud voice, the loudest ones where I was just small. I was just like, no, I'm not going to speak. I'm just going to sit here. And then I went over to America and actually I was put in a leadership group and Tony DiCicco, he's passed away now, but he was the end of the 99ers, you know, he was part of the Mia Ham. He was like the head coach then. Um, He was like, 
you don't see in yourself that everyone responds to you, everyone listens to you. And it's like me, like people are listening yeah. to me. He was like, you've got leadership qualities that you don't even know. When I read your book, I mm-hmm. saw the parallels and I'm conscious what I say here might appear crass and it isn't yeah. intended no, to. <laughs> but you know the situation you describe your mum? Yeah, yeah. Where you're in a, an abusive relationship and then you eventually find your way out to the light as you describe it. Yeah. And I saw the parallels with your Arsenal career in that way of you're almost there feeling like like desperate to be wanted yeah. and you're being rejected. And it's only then when you find your way to the light mm-hmm. do you actually start to thrive and blossom. Yeah. Did you recognise those parallels? Yeah. I also recognised, same with my dad, with my Arsenal coach, I just wanted them to love me. Yeah. Like there was no anger from me at all. There's still no anger with my dad, with my coach. Like the first thing, it's weird because if we're talking about the coach, even people know it's Vic Akers, who's done so much for women's football. And that's always what I go back to. Like women's football owes Vic so much. But actually that relationship with me wasn't a good one. He didn't, yeah, goes back to not believing in me. Having judgments on me, I would say that he didn't even know that he was doing that constant putting me down like I wasn't good enough. Like constantly, it hurt so much. And like I said, it's not till I left the environment, I found myself. But when you're in an environment like that, which is kind of toxic to an extent, you don't even know until you remove yourself and you're like, wow. And I literally went from, yeah, I was already a right back for England, but going to America where people were telling me that I'm going to be the best right back in the world to believe in it. Like these people could see something in me. Like it was absolutely incredible. My personality in a changing room, I was the one dancing and getting everyone up before a game. Like that positive energy is what I knew I thrive off, which Jake goes back to your one growing up that mindset I don't know where you learn it from but I was always thinking about a positive situation you know because you had to because you were in in such a negative situation Mm -hmm. you know the only thing you can do with your young immature brain hearing your dad attack your mum is to take yourself to a positive place and and it's always such a difficult thing to square off in your own mind that all of those really hard nasty experiences they are not totally separate to the success you've had in your life. Yeah. There's a very good case here that without those negative experiences, all your achievements haven't happened. Yeah. And that's why I sit here and I, I don't ever say it. I'm not a victim of anything. Like I, I know that that has given me things in my life to either push through those situations of the fear or, and it's led me to this, that I know mm. I can deal with certain things. I'm the character I am now. Like when I'm talking about Vic, you know, him, that, tough love and how he was with me actually pushed me to levels that I might not have got to with a coach then who constantly put their arm around me or told me oh you're going to be the best right back or you're going to be this no it wouldn't have got me to where I am when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So how do you now choose the people that you have in your life? I need positive people around me. I need people that see a world from a different angle, that can have those conversations. You know, you surround yourself with people that are going to give you that energy. I don't remember what book it was back in the day, but, you know, don't be an energy sapper. Yeah. You know, those people that constantly, they just offload everything or we can't do this or why always me? And you're just like, actually, how are you going to change that? How are you going to make it happen? You know, what's the situation? What's the outcome here? You just like need to flip things and have a different view on things sometimes. And have you, have you realised that life's a team sport now? Because I think for a long time in your life, Alex Scott yeah. dealt with any problem that was in Alex Scott's way. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, that's not the answer Yeah. for anyone listening to this. Are you there yet? I am there. It's interesting because, yeah, I would say I've, I've always been a team player, always. But like you said, there's situations in there, like if I'm assembling furniture and someone wants to help me, that's when I'm like, I, I can do it myself. Like, I'm <laughs> all right. But actually, I know, even in broadcasting, like I don't stand there or I'm on TV. It's never about me. I love being part of a team, bouncing off someone alongside me, that conversation. So I think, uh, yeah, I'm totally there in terms of asking for help and accepting that and not being that individual in that sense. Yeah. So tell us then what makes a great team player? Because I think we talk about leadership a lot and people, but there's lots of people that listen to this that are not going to lead, but they wouldn't be part of a team. Mm-hmm. And I was in, so I wouldn't ask you that question, but I'm all, yeah. I'm trying to marry it up with the one that I'd like those images of you working in the laundry room yeah. at Arsenal to me, <laughs> remind me of like when we we're reading it, I was thinking of, My you know, like those TV, but, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but do you remember those TV programs where like the boss goes back to the floor mm-hmm. and then they see what it's really like yeah. rather than assuming the world smells of fresh paint. Yeah. I like, I think that's invaluable as well. So I wanted to marry that experience with the question of, how do you be a great team player? You're making me smile thinking about the laundry days because once again, it's hard, it's easy to go to the negative situation in that. Like I'm in a laundry, I'm scrubbing dirty pants. Like when Arsenal had played the night before, you know, it's been a rainy, muddy day and there's me on a Monday trying to get the mud out of their shorts and everything. Actually, that environment allowed me to learn so much. You know, I got an amazing lunch every day, which was like the best <laughs> lunch ever. Tick. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was in a football environment. 
Yeah. I was having conversations with Arsene Wenger, players coming in after training, and I'm having conversations with a Thierry Henry about football. So that's where my mindset goes, that you can think about, oh, I'm just locked away in this room, and it's like, why am I doing this? But actually, I'm learning so much. And actually, the little money that I did get paid by doing that allowed me to buy my first house when I was 21, you know, and they're the winning bits for me in life coming from an estate that I did that, oh my gosh, working in a laundry has allowed me to buy a first house. So there's so many things that I grow and learn off that. But going back to being an ultimate team player, I think what I've learned is, you know, everyone's importance and what everyone brings to make you all get to that level. You all want to be successful and you all play such an important part in making that happen. It is never about the me in a team. It is about the we. That sounds really cliche, um, but it really is. So even when I I had the armband, I was the captain. But what I actually learned in that role, and it's not no one taught me, or I think because it's what I felt when I wasn't a captain or sometimes how I felt I was removed or my voice wasn't valued, that everyone's voice matters. And sometimes the person that's not speaking might have the most important thing to say and you need to find a way to let their voice be heard. I love that. It reminds us of when we interviewed Kevin Sinfield, Mm -hmm. the rugby league player, he said that he, it dawned on him at the age of 12, didn't he, when he remembers looking and thinking, he's better than me, he's faster than me, he's stronger than me. And he said, what can I do? And he said his job was to make everyone else better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's how he found a role in the team. Yeah. A lesson that I learned when I went to America, I got drafted to the Boston Breakers. And it was the first, it was the pro league was set up. Um, I got drafted into the same team as Heather Mitts, who was the best right back in the world at the time. Golden girl of women's football around the world. And straight away, everyone's pitting us together. Why well, is this going to work? Who's going to play? This is not possible. And straight away, people were telling me like, oh, you can't go to America to play. Like, you're not going to play. You're going to like go from playing for Arsenal in England. You're going to sit on the bench. And I was like, oh, you might have a point. But actually, no, I've just been drafted. I was lucky enough to be drafted into a, the pro league where all the best players are going to um, play. I remember... Me and Heather, me and Heather became the closest of friends. Heather ultimately lost her place to me in the team. But Heather would stay behind, make me stay behind with her all the time. She was like, okay, you're great at this, but your left foot should be better. And so she would have me pinging balls with her after training to make me better. And I think that sums up the mentality of why the American team have been so successful because they know ultimately they need everyone to be good at the level to ultimately win. Where I'd been in an England environment up to that point where players would sit on the bench and be like, well, she's crap, I should be playing ahead of her or why is this? It was like that moany negative environment. And so that was a big lesson for me learning from Heather Mitts. And I remember fast forward to when I got to a stage where Lucy Bronze came in at such a young right back and I knew straight away, once she had a mentality like me, she was unapologetic of putting in the hard work because she wanted to be the best and I absolutely loved her. And I knew I had to do what Heather Mitts did for me. I knew I was going to push Lucy, have conversations with her and get her to that place. So when ultimately she took my shirt it was for all the right reasons because she was the best. I just find that absolutely intriguing because I think if you're a coach listening to that, you'd be like, how do I get that mindset in that, you know, 
that somebody would be selfless enough to understand that I'm handing the jersey over in a better place. What kind of conversations did you have with yourself that didn't allow little Alex that would have felt insecure with that to be able to see Lucy come in and have the confidence to encourage and nurture beyond the experience that you've experienced? To be honest, I don't know if I hadn't been in that process with a heather mitts. Right. I don't know. It's a learned behaviour. That's why yeah. I say maybe you surround yourself with the right people that you know you're going to grow and you're going to learn from. That growth mindset, right? Yeah. And I would never forget what Heather did for me. And it was, at the time, it was the American culture of, I'll give you another example. I remember we were doing a fitness drill and there was a girl, Tiffany Weimer. She was the most one of the most skillful players, but her fitness was shocking, absolutely shocking. And in us doing this drill, I remember finishing second behind Christine Lilly and I was celebrating like, this is great. Like the American's fitness level is up there. Christine Lilly turned around and shouted to me after me celebrating, I've just finished while everyone else is still running. She's like, you get back out there, Scotty, and you get to tiffany across the line and i was like, it's like excuse me like what like and then so christine and me were then having to run extra because we'd finished early so it was kind of easier for us to get our teammate across the line with us and that was another important lesson for me that what you're only as strong as your weakest link and we needed tiffany and her support our support for her made her feel better that day that she wasn't the last one struggling and we're all on the sideline being like oh look at tiffany again no she needed that support from us and so what do you now believe is strong leadership proper leadership what should we be looking for in our leaders Creating the right environment. You know, a strong leader isn't afraid to listen to everyone and take advice from people. And ultimately, you know you're going to make a decision. But having the courage to be like, I want your opinion, okay? I, I agree with some bits. I don't agree with some bits. Having those conversations and learning and creating an environment where everyone feels valued, I think that's the biggest thing. Everyone, a part of the team, and not even the people that ultimately are stepping either, I'm just using football, onto the pitch, but people working in the environment as well, knowing that they're valued, that their part matters, ultimately to the whole success of the team. And are you aware of how much of a leader you are? Do you consider yourself a leader? I think it's easy for me to say, like, in one extent, yes, because I had a captain's armband. I wouldn't know. See, I'm talking more about like you stood up and led, when, even when you were a kid with your mum mm -hmm. struggling, you stood up and led on a football field because you got the armband. You stood up and led for all the women who are getting criticised and abused and they don't have to be on the television, by the way, to face that kind of criticism. For me, this is true leadership. You know, you and the women around you are breaking down doors for others to walk through. And, you know, for people like us to be allies, alongside women like that it only happens if they're brave enough and strong enough to stand up in front of everyone in the first place and and be leaders and I am for someone like you to come along I am so much more excited about the future my daughter has and Damien's daughter has because of the, le the leadership that you've shown in in the last few years so maybe instead of asking you whether you feel like a leader maybe we should be telling you that you are a leader <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was going to say, after you say that, like straight away, it makes me, one, it makes me go shy, which people don't know that side about me because they assume you're on TV. Of course, you're not shy because yeah. you speak to millions. I still find it hard to accept people either see me in that way or feel that way because 
I don't know, because I've always had to show that strength for, so to take praise and stuff like that, I kind of like, oh God, like, thanks, thanks for saying that, Jake, but I feel uncomfortable with it. But I think it goes back to that team player. So ultimately, you saying I am that leader and I get it, but for me, it goes back to uh, I'm trying to help people. Like when I sit alongside someone, my thing is, I don't care about me. I'm going to ask you questions so you can have the limelight or you feel comfortable or trying to help someone do a better talk or something like that. So I get now what you're saying. That yeah. is a form of leadership. But I suppose, I, I've, no, I've never seen it that way. And have you, have you found freedom? Are you there yet? I don't know if I'll ever be there, to be honest. I'm still growing as a person. I'm still learning stuff about myself, which I like. In the book, I I finally open up and I'm really private with my life, but I wrote a whole chapter about love um, and what that relationship really did for me and those patterns continued. And I've spent the last couple of years actually dating myself. <laughs> How cheesy that sounds, you know, actually. No, Tell us more about that. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? That I knew that, I needed to break some patterns in my life that stemmed, yes, from my dad and not being able to communicate. And then that was there in relationships. I was then tending to get with people that I just wanted to help them, you know, which then in turn wasn't healthy, healthy for myself. So you were um, in that rescuer. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then ultimately I was losing myself in those relationships. So that's why, I, I mean, I've spent the last couple of years knowing and growing and understanding myself more. But tell us about dating yourself. How do you do that? (laughs) Being okay with being on your own or reading more to understand things or going to therapy so I understand my own patterns, which will ultimately be better for the next relationship that, that I'm in and being able to now communicate better and see things instead of I've always hated confrontation because of things in my past so I tend to run from things where actually that's not healthy in itself sometimes you need to have those frank honest conversations to move on to things so see that surprises me when you because again I was wondering about when you mentioned the power of fear in your life and Mm -hmm. it's and it's constant presence that we have three reactions, don't we? Traditionally, we either run away, mm-hmm. we freeze, and like we've a rabbit caught in the headlights, or we get on the front foot and mm-hmm. we go and f- take it on in that fight mode. And reading your book and listening to you speak, I, I, I can see two of those responses in the freeze response that you had of struggling to communicate and, and the fight response sometimes of going and taking the fight directly on, as, you, as that example we spoke about. But I've not heard you talk about the running away thing because mm. I, I haven't heard or read any any examples of that. What does running away look like in your world? I would say in terms of running away, it's like if you are having a disagreement with your partner, my thing would be like, oh, we'll come back to it tomorrow. Like it's right. okay because nothing for me and the images that I still have from my childhood gets resolved in the heat of an argument you know you end up saying stuff that you don't want to say that you'll regret so my thing is just to remove myself from that moment but I suppose now what I've learned is there's ways of doing that for to help my partner understand the reasons why I'm doing that and we can maybe resolve this tomorrow and come back to it when we've got a clearer head on things so from a selfish point of view give us some tips (laughs) (laughs) because how do you do that 
it is just in that moment knowing that it's the heat it's the anger and you know you can't resolve things in that moment so it is either just you know both stepping away and just taking a moment and a breath to realize what you do want to say and the outcomes that you want to get from this so do you have conversations even before you ever in conflicts to say when we do disagree or when we find conflicts mm-hmm. do you and a partner have that conversation to plan how we're going to deal with that disagreement well I think that's where I've learned about things for myself because then I would let things and I th- suppose through my sport career and tv I'd, I'd suppress things right like no I don't need to deal with it I just push it down you know don't want anyone to see that it affects me or actually I'm sometimes making the situation worse right and so that's where it goes back to dating myself and realize that that is not healthy i need to work on that i could have resolved something five steps earlier than yeah. them actually get to here love that yeah thank you so much for sharing so much with us oh, and being so you. open and honest we've reached the point of our quick fire questions oh, at on, the then. end of the podcast the first one is we've touched on this a little bit the three non-negotiable behaviors that you and the people around you must buy into for me, you can't be negative around me all the time. Yeah. Just, I, I can't take it. Um, so, yeah, I won't allow you to, in a conversation, constantly be negative. Okay, that's the um, Do you know, I don't like people that are late. I, d- I, d- I don't get it. Like, I need to do everything I can to be on time and show up because it has a knock-on effect. Um, so, lateness is a non-negotiable for me. And the third one, excuses. I can't take people making excuses. Yeah. Just be honest. Tell the truth. Like, I'll understand. But don't make lame excuses around me. What's your greatest strength and what's your biggest weakness? I think my biggest strength is being able to listen. To listen to people. I think listen to myself now. I would say that. Um, My biggest weakness just trying to help everyone before I can even help myself sometimes. It's a weakness, but I think I'd never change it. What's been your biggest failure and how did you react to it? It's made me emotional thinking about it. I would say waiting this long to talk about what's in my book. Thinking that maybe I could have freed my mum earlier. And yourself? And myself, yes. But I, I, for me, the book's about my mum. Like, I just, yeah. 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 Even that's about my life, but yeah. <laughs> Amazing. What's one thing that we don't know about you that we should? I was going to say music. I think, like, everyone knows how much I love music. Um, I don't know. Do you know that I love to travel? Like, love to travel. And I travel a lot alone, to be honest. Because growing up, education-wise, I suppose we view education in such a way, but because of the speech therapy and everything, I I really struggled with education. And my education and learning about life, I get that through traveling the world, learning about different cultures, meeting people, and it gives me so much energy and I just feel alive. So what's the one trip that you've been on then that ticked all your boxes? I always go to different places and I love it for that reason because I learn different things. But um, this year I went to Peru. 
and it was somewhere that I'd always wanted to go to um and I finally went and it was everything and more learning about the history the culture of the people and nature the hikes it yeah it was a very special trip you do it on your own yeah went on my own but I feel you know sometimes energy attracts energy or you're meant to meet certain people and then so straight away I I go on my own to these places but I end up meeting amazing people and learning about their life or where they've come from and I, it always happens to me and I let it happen yeah yeah um so yeah so I'm there alone but I'm I'm never alone and the final question which is um your kind of final message I guess to the people that have listened to this in- incredible hour-long conversation what is uh-huh. what is your final message to our listeners about living a high performance life that sometimes other people will project their fears or what they're going through onto you but you keep going and keep believing in yourself and don't let anyone else's fears stop you achieving what you know you can achieve i love that Uh, and i hope that you can see that you know whether it's a little kid Mm -hmm. knowing what went on with your mum and dad or whether it was you know and that gave you an insight into how cruel human beings can be or whether it is as an adult seeing how toxic society remains i hope that you're in a place now where you can see that you've been through all of that and look where you are yeah and your strength is remarkable and i think a lot of people will get a lot of strength out of that conversation thank you thank you for having me damien jake i i just can't resolve in my own head why as a society we can't celebrate someone like alex who's gone through real traumas as a young person has created a an amazing professional football career and then at the end of it establishes herself on the TV, all of which are really hard to do, and all people want to do is push her back down to the bottom. There's that old saying, Jake, I don't know who it's attributed to, but we don't see the world as as they are, we see it as we are. And I think sometimes when we see somebody like Alex and then we see some of the the bile and the abuse and the and the and the horrible sort of comments that make you made the comment to her that we, we they're not seeing Alex for who she is, this strong, independent woman that's overcome trauma to triumph. They're seeing the world as they are almost. Maybe it's their own inadequacies, mm. their own failings, their own weaknesses. And that's why I think increasingly that phrase that you said, that if you'd lived their life, you would see the world how they do. And that's not to excuse that kind of abuse, but I think it's to try and neuter it's power of it and you know that shouldn't stop how that is going on and thriving in the way that she's just described i think the challenge is how we end this cycle of abuse and anger and calling out and cancelling and criticizing and and i just think it's all about compassion i think it's compassion for someone who is in alex's position but it's also compassion from the people who are in that position that you know, there is a reason why people are carrying around such anger. How how can we, A, solve that problem, but B, have a world where it, we all call this out. We all know this is unacceptable. Yeah, and I think conversations like we've just had with Alex are just a small drop in the ocean of how we do it, that we can't change the world, but we can change the world one person at a time. And I think the fact that Alex put her story down in a book the fact that she's brave enough to come on a podcast and talk about some of those scars 
that are still quite vivid for her. She's still in the process of healing them over. I think that then suddenly starts to maybe change one person's mind and maybe gets them to reflect a little bit on their own healing that they need to go on. And some of the tips that Alex gave there about, you know, first of all, just reaching out, just speaking to others. How many of our guests have told us that, of just the power of connection? You know, it was Joe Wicks that spoke about his dad to us where he said, the antidote to addiction is connection. And I think the antidote to loneliness is the ability to reach out and ask for help. You know, and maybe anyone that is feeling that anger, that pain, that disillusionment, just talk to people about it. And I hope she realises the impact she's having because I think even that conversation today is going to be helpful for so many people. And I love that we were still able to talk to her about, you know, and kind of pay homage, if you like, to the fact she had an elite football career as well. Yeah. And those conversations when she was in America and seeing true leadership, you know, it's a reminder of how damaging toxic leadership can be. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd love the definition. Those two anecdotes are the ones that I'm going to take away and repeat uh, to other coaches and other teachers and leaders, this idea of you're only as strong as your weakest link. So you get everybody over the line. That's your job. And that second one of the idea of leave the shirt in a better place. So if you see somebody coming up, help them. Don't try to keep them down or keep them in a box. Lift them up and give them the tools that they can thrive as well. Okay, it's time to meet another high-performance listener. And this time we're going to chat to somebody who is in Australia. We had a really nice message from Josh Robson telling us that he's just completed an Ironman, which is a full-distance triathlon, and he fell just short of a Kona qualification spot. If you're not sure what that is, we're about to find out. And also the fact that really, the fact that he's completed an Ironman is a very small part of a very big story, and I'll let him fill in the rest. Welcome to High Performance, Josh. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So maybe you wouldn't mind telling people why um, completing um, an Ironman is one thing, but doing it after what you've been through is something quite different. Um, so it was about uh, two years ago, I had a small lump appear on um, my right testy. And um, about 18 months from noticing that, it started to change slight formation. I went to the doctor and I got told that I had um, testicular cancer. Um, and the, the first message I'd like to share is like, I, um, I just put it on the back burner. I was striving to be the best triathlete I could be, striving to do all my work hours. And, you know, I just wasn't getting regular health checkups. And if I had have, um, done that, I possibly would have bypassed, you know, putting my life on hold for 12 months or, or even going through one of the worst feelings I've ever felt, which was chemotherapy. So when I was first diagnosed with cancer, I made a pact with myself that I wanted to strive to, to still be the best version of myself. I wanted to be a high performer. Um, and the first thing I did was um, control the controllable. So I just wanted to, you know, all the, the only thing, the first thing that was in my control was, you know, having a positive mindset. And that really just sort of set up the day of going into cancer. And I wanted my cancer diagnosis to, to be my invitation to something great. And, and that being, I just wanted to motivate and, and inspire people, you know, whether it was people just getting off the couch or, you know, people that, you know, had a, an adversity event faced in their lives. That I wanted to sort of st- set a standard and lead by example as well. So going through all that, I, I had to go, go through chemotherapy. So I had a, a testy removed um, and unfortunately it spread throughout my body. So the the goal I set throughout chemotherapy was I wanted to I wanted to train every day. I did that bar bar two days. Late in cycle three and four, I, I was totally immobilized. Um, 
my wife had to literally get me out of bed and um, physically start me moving each day. Um, and as soon as you stopped, that it happened again. So those two days late in cycle three and four, um, you really knew about, learned a lot about yourself and about how slow time goes. And then, um, so I wanted to do that. And then uh, when I started training, getting through it and sort of, well, I wasn't maintaining fitness, I was deteriorating at a fast rate, but I set a goal to turn up to, in Melbourne, we have a 2XU triathlon series. And I just wanted to go to that. So I was training through that and about midway through the second cycle, um, my brother approached me and come out of the blue and just said, I, uh, I want you to train me for an Ironman. And so while I was in the chair in chemo, 10 hours a day, I was writing his program and, and trying to set him up for an Ironman. And that was moving in itself, um, him getting out of his comfort zone, him turning up to the pool three, four times a, a, a week, 5 a.m., buying a bike and all that. Towards the end of that, I handed him over. I've got a triathlon coach myself, um, and I handed him over to him because I thought this kid can actually go right. And then, uh, long story short, nine months later, we uh, both completed the Cairns Ironman. And from that, our bond got um, extremely strong. We trained in and out for me through chemo, coming out the end of chemotherapy. Um, it was just really moving experience. I'm proud of both of us doing that. But um, myself doing it through the cancer period and my brother doing it after not having any experience showing anything's possible and trying to motivate me was just truly moving. I've got uh, goosebumps on my arms as you're talking to us there, Josh. Can I take you back to a moment, though, that um, just I find utterly intriguing? The moment when the doctors diagnosed that you've got testicular cancer and the fact that then you processed it, to, you had that lovely phrase, it was an invitation to something great. How long did that, process take between getting that devastating news and then uh, taking on that fantastic mindset you had um I, i've always had the mindset it is what it is and yeah it was just instantly i've always been i'm not one to sit down and cry and mope about it i just sort of want to get the job done and one of the first things i said to my doctor when he diagnosed me is what's next so it was just sort of soldier on it's not going to change the reality it is what it is and um yeah that's where i just sort of straight away to get a positive mindset of what i was doing it was all right i'm going to turn into something great and it by something great as i said i don't mean it by winning an award or something like that if i could inspire people and motivate people that was good enough for me to get me moving each day and when when those negative thoughts do creep in josh because nobody has a has a bulletproof mindset what are the tips that you or the techniques you use that might be useful for our listeners to hear? Um, and to just back you on that, yeah, the negative thoughts, uh, they do creep in. Like towards the end of it, it was um, you just thought, what if the, you know, the chemotherapy and the chemicals didn't work or what if the cancer didn't go away and your life was totally on hold for so much longer? And the way I just sort of um, dealt with that was, one, having the support around you is incredibly, it's an important part. Like having my friends and family was just amazing. But I just, I, I honestly reckon the secret secret ingredient is is moving, staying active, you know, getting your blood flowing. And, and to me, that just, oh, I don't know, you forget the what's going on in the world and just keep going. Wow. Listen, man, for you to come <coughs> on here and, and talk like this is really quite something. And I can see that... Um, I can see that it's still quite an emotional thing for you to talk about, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's. Um, I used to think that once I went through what I went through, because I felt what I felt, other people would just change their perspective. 
And I learned the hard way that that's not the case. But going through my cancer diagnosis and doing it, it it's changed my whole view on, it, on everything. And it's a shame it took such an adversity event for that to happen. How are you doing now, health-wise? I'm doing very well. So I'm now 12 months post-finishing chemotherapy. Um, yeah, and I'm stronger and fitter than ever and got more Ironmans in, in, in the pipeline and um, other races, running races and all that. I'm working and, yeah, just trying to – once you go through chemotherapy and such a thing and your, your life is wasted for six months, you don't want to waste another day. So just living life to the fullest, to the extremes that I can and be as healthy, as fit as possible and having a positive mindset. Wow. Well, look. To be diagnosed not just with cancer, but with a cancer that has you know, moved to other parts of your body and then to still find that positive mindset, Josh, to not just get up and go again, but get up, go again, do something as huge as a triathlon and then come on here and share it. It is, um, it's you that's inspiring all of us, not us inspiring you. So thanks, man. No, I really appreciate the kind words. Truly moved by your mentality and the way you guys go about your business. Thanks, mate. Well, that's it. Thank you very much for listening. As always, huge thanks goes to you for growing and sharing this podcast among your community. Please continue to spread the learnings you're taking from this series. Thanks to the whole team that are working on this podcast. And don't forget, we have just launched the High Performance Book Club. If you want to join the book club, which is free, if you want to join our members club, The Circle, which is also free, then just go to thehighperformancepodcast.com. There you can also order our book, our journal, and tickets to our live show in Norwich in February, which should be a cracker. Right, that's it. Remember, there is no secret. It's all there for you. So chase world-class basics. Don't get high on your own supply. Remain humble, curious and empathetic. And we'll see you soon. 